first Sunday of 2024. How many of you have wrote a date down and you're still writing 2023? Yeah, yeah, there's a few. Yeah, all right. Guess what? This church was a different name, different pastoral leadership, because I'm only 43. I want you to know that. But today, uh, this church actually held its very first service on the first Sunday of 1972. So happy 52nd birthday to this church. Now you see why I had to clarify, because I just wanted you to know I wasn't there. But I could imagine it was exciting. Well, if, 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 one, if one was to Google the word devil, don't do it. You'll get all kinds of weird stuff. But uh, the results might be all across the board. Demonic pictures and artwork, movies and books, team mascots, commercials, Images that show the devil with a menacing face accented with horns, a bloody red suit, and a pitchfork. No doubt Satan is cynically satisfied when such portrayals disguise the real truth. But realistically, we have dominion over the devil. And so today we're looking at week two of our series. The series is entitled Dominion. Last week was all about dominion over self. Today, it's dominion over Satan. And so, the Word of God reveals our adversary, the devil. Originally, he was Lucifer, son of the morning. He enjoyed the privileged presence of a holy, omnipotent, and benevolent God. But his heart was, it was lifted with pride and not content with his own status. He overreached and he was cast out of God's inner circle. He, along with one-third of the angels who joined his rebellion, Isaiah 14 talks about this in verse 12. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God's far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high God. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths, which, just so you know, hell was not created for you. It was created for him. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? You know, these angels now comprise Satan's demonic network of darkness against kingdoms of the light. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, with its allegories of the kings of Babylon and Tyre, they reveal Satan's fallen state. And Jesus said of Satan, he said in Luke 10, 18, he says, and he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Satan is described as a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is, it doesn't say is a roaring lion, he says, as, as a roaring lion walketh about, he seeks whom he may devour. He is a predator seeking to pounce on unsuspecting victims who let their defenses down. Jesus describes him as a thief whose intent is to kill and to steal and to destroy. Satan is the master of deception, presenting himself as an angel of light when really Satan is just a prince of darkness. 
Look how Jesus describes him in John 8, 44. It says, ye are uh, of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father he, uh, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan, Lucifer, is the father of lies. Scripturally, that is how he is identified. You ever have someone in your life who is deceitful, who when they say things, they embellish things and they add things and they lie about things. And you get to the point where you're like, I don't know if I can even trust this person. Everything they seem to say is just a lie or just deceitful. If they're in here next to you, don't look at them. Just stare straight ahead. But, but we know maybe one person or two people like that, but, but this is how the devil is described. He's the father of lies. Hallelujah. Satan is also called a dragon and the old serpent in the book of Revelation. Just like he was a serpent in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, even then his goal was deception. But scripture tells us that his ultimate destination is the lake of fire. Perhaps the most revealing description of Satan comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church when he says, no marvel, meaning don't be surprised, don't be shocked by this. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. See, he's deceitful. So there are things that Satan is going to operate in that to the naked eye you might say, well, that's not really a big deal. That's not such a bad thing because the devil's not an idiot. He's not going to show up and be like, hey, I'm here to destroy your marriage, to take your kids, to get you to backslide, and my goal is to have you burn in a lake of fire with me. It's not what he's going to do. He's going to show up, and there's going to be deceit. It's going to look a lot like it did for Eve. Have God said? Eve, is it really a big deal? It's just a piece of fruit. And if you eat this fruit, do you really think you're surely going to die? To the point where if he can get you to engage in a conversation, a mental contemplation that goes, yeah, is God's word really true? Are there going to be serious consequences if I don't follow God's word? I just can't imagine. And we start to have this internal conversation with deceit. Where God's word speaks with clarity, that's where we find safety. But our flesh doesn't want to always align with Scripture. Because Scripture oftentimes is not only counter-cultural, but it also goes against the norm of what our flesh desires. And that's why we have to crucify the flesh. We have to die out to flesh because flesh will say, I don't want to do that. And Scripture says, this is what you need to do. And so there's a battle. And it's very easy that our flesh will start to go, yeah, I'm looking to justify it. Eve... Eve's sitting there looking at the fruit, like, man, this looks good. Oh, yeah. Half God said, you know what? That's a good point. But knowing these scriptural truths that Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, we will not be deceived by a caricature of a red devil with horns and a pitchfork. Rather, we will understand that we have been called to take dominion over Satan's devices. And we do, we do this by employing spiritual and scriptural weapons, ones that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
Remember, dominion means to take charge or be in control. After revealing that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, Jesus made a powerful declaration depicting triumphant truth. When he said in Luke 10, 19, he said, Behold, he looks and he looks at his followers. He says, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. When Jesus looks at his followers and says that, and I believe he still says that to us today, and he says, to my spirit-filled believers, to the church of the living God, I have given you power. Power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and nothing that the enemy has has any dominion over you. As a matter of fact, you are the one who has dominion. The God-given transfer of power provides the ability and authority to take dominion over the defeated foe. And as we abide in Christ, we walk in that power and we will walk in that power. We will take dominion over the prince and the power of the air of whatever city we put the soles of our feet to. Because if I have power to tread on, I just wonder if there was a connection when Jesus says, you have power to tread on serpents and scorpions going all the way back to, oh, you know what, Eve? That serpent, the devil, appeared in the garden and, and he prophesied and he says, oh, you know what? There's going to be, it's going to bruise that heel, but that heel is going to crush the head of that serpent. It was a prophetic word that was given about a, a soon coming Messiah that was going to crush the head of that serpent, Satan. And now he looks at his followers and says, just don't forget, you also have power to crush the head of Satan with your soles of your feet. And so when I take the soles of this dress shoe and I'm going to walk into the city of Liberty, I'm going to walk in going, I have dominion over the city of Liberty. Guess what? When I walk into the city of Excelsior Springs, I'm going to walk in with the soles of my feet going, I have dominion over the city of Excelsior Springs. When I walk into Sugar Creek in Independence, it's not because of me, but because of my Savior that took on flesh, died on a cross, and put his spirit in me. I then will walk into Sugar Creek in independence and go, I have dominion over the prince and the power of the air of this city. I have dominion over Smithville, Raytown, Kansas City, Gladstone, and anywhere else that God calls me to go. Ephesians 6 says a final word, Paul says, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. You know, I know sometimes, you know, we go through things and we, we go to counseling and I'm for biblical counseling. Please don't, please don't put words in my mouth. If you need help, get all the help you can. Pray fast, read the word, go to counseling, get professional help, do what you got to do to be victorious. But I don't read a lot in scripture about just hang on. Oh, I know things are tough. Just, I read things like this. A final word, church, he says, be strong in the power of, the, of his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against all the strategies of the devil. If you're here today, 
And you expected just a fluffy message about God loves you, we love him, a little Barney song, and we can sing a song and come to the altar and then leave. Sometimes we might have some of those. But every once in a while, we still got to look back and say, let's not forget there is a devil. Let's not forget there is a spiritual battle. Let's not forget this is not just cupcakes and Kool-Aid and heyday and have fun. We can look at this and go, hang on. There is an enemy of my soul that wants to destroy me me, my wife, my children. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy you. And so Paul doesn't just ignore the devil. He says head on. He goes, let me start by first saying this. You've got power. You've got mighty power. And then he says, we're not fighting. He says, but put on the armor of God because you need his armor to be able to stand. Why? Because the devil's still around and there's strategies that he's coming up with to take you down. And he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in the dark world, evil spirits in heavenly places. If you don't think there's a spiritual realm that you're living in, sometimes we make the mistake as humans. We think we're in a, in a physical world with a spiritual element. It's vice versa. We're in a spiritual world that has a physical element because this is not eternity. Where we're living, what we're driving, what we make for a living, what we do for a living, it's temporary. Our lives are but a vapor. Blow out a candle, watch that little smoke, that's our lives. This is not the physical component of what we get lost in, and that's the minute details of eternity. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy because the enemy is coming after you. Why would you have to resist the enemy if the enemy wasn't interested in you? The enemy is interested in destroying you and your family. For some people, they're like, my God, oh, Lord, help me. Paul does not sound scared when he's saying this. He says, one final word, church. Be strong. Put on the armor of God. He says, verse 14, he says, stand your ground. We don't have to give in to the enemy at all. Not even a little bit. He says, stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body of the armor of God's righteousness. For, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He gives us all these defensive pieces and then one offensive piece. And that offensive piece is God's word. And he says, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. If you hear someone praying in the spirit and you say, well, that's weird. It's not weird. It's biblical. Stay alert. And persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The word of God is our offensive weapon. This is what we will preach and proclaim into every city starting in Liberty, going over to Sugar Creek Independence, going to Excelsior Springs, and every other church that we are going to plant over the next several decades. There are churches all over America that have amazing lights, great programs, amazing buildings, incredible sound systems. Great children's ministry curriculum, beautiful camps and conferences, but not all have great moves of God. Because it's not, and that's not meant to be a derogatory statement, 
But not every place is preaching the entire word of God. And so I would certainly not stand here in an arrogant manner going, we are the only ones that are ever going to, like, no, I'm not saying that. But I do say, we will always preach the entirety of the word of God. Why? The word of God is the offensive weapon to spiritual darkness. We say, I do not have to give in. I will stand my ground. I will be persistent. But as I put on God's armor, I've been given one offensive weapon, which he said is a sword of the spirit. He says, and that is the word of God. So if you're sitting here going, but there's so much darkness in the world. Well, then go do something about it. And how are we going to do something about it? It's not going to be the breastplate. It's not going to be the helmet. It's not going to be the shoes. The thing that is going to impact the darkness is going to be the word of God. And so we have to take the word of God and we have to go proclaim that wherever we can get in and preach to someone in their house, in a, in a corner, in a gas station, say, listen, God will change your life. God's there's hope for you. The church is not a service in a building. You're the church. So take your offensive weapon and go out into the darkness and say, I'm going to go light this world up. The enemy is going to work to belittle it, to, be, to, to get people to question it and disregard it. But the children of God can... See, why do you think the enemy wants you to, to question whether the, the things in God's word are really valid? Is that really for today? Yeah, times have changed. Is that really needed? Is that really necessary? I just don't know. Seems a little bit odd, a countercultural. That's fine. The Bible was not ever written to fit with culture. It was always written to dictate culture. And so people choose not to believe that, but if the enemy can get you to question the word of God, he has now effectively rendered your only offensive weapon to be null and void. But the children of God must keep preaching it, teaching it at homes, proclaiming it in pulpits, and aligning our lives with it. The word is how we push back darkness. The word is how we take dominion and live in dominion. Truth will always dominate deception. Paul exhorted us to not be ignorant of Satan's devices like Adam and Eve in the garden. Sometimes Satan tells outright lies, but most often he will mix enough truth in scripture to try to twist and to deceive, to get you to go, yeah, Mm, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. Deception comes, ready? Deception comes when one thinks the lie just might be truth. That's how deception comes. That lie might be truth. These half-truths temporarily appear to be true or natural in the rational mind. Satan tried to convince Eve into thinking the lie might actually have truth. Having been in the presence of the Lord, Satan knew such disobedience would be unacceptable to God's holiness. But God's overarching providence is always a step ahead of the devil's schemes. In his omniscience, God knew what would happen in the garden. He already had a plan. The plan was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Remission of sins comes by the shedding of blood of Jesus on the cross. And that 
plan foiled Satan's attack. And scripture says in James 2.19, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So look at that scripture. There's a couple things. First of all, the devils believe in one God. So if they believe it and he spent time in heaven, uh, we probably should believe in one God too, and not a co-equal, co-eternal being, but Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh. That's one. But then notice this. It says, you're doing well if you believe that. But then he says, the devils also believe. And what do they do? They tremble. So that, when I read that and I go, hang on a second here. Sometimes we're going, the devil's like a roaring lion. He's coming after my family. Like we picture ourselves being locked in a house and the burglars are outside and we're scooted against the wall going, guys, get down. I'm calling the police. Oh my God, Lord, help me. There's somebody trying to break in. The burglars come and they're at the door because scripture says that, behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. But guess what? When, 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 when God shows up to Cain, he says, if you don't do well, you better be careful because the enemy's also knocking at your door. So guess what that means? There's always two people knocking at your door. You're going to open the door to one of them and leave one in the cold. And so you, sometimes we get this image of like, oh no, I'm in the house and the burglar's out there and I'm scared. And that's not what I read in scripture. That's not what I read. If I'm reading about, hang on, if I have God inside of me and he says, fear not, stand your ground, put on the armor of God, I'm giving you an offensive weapon. And then I read this and I go, I just read the devils believe and the devils are trembling at God. So I need to just step back and go, we as the church should never tremble before a defeated foe. Why in the world would I, who am filled with the Spirit of God Almighty, ever, I'm not going to say, oh, there's no devil. The devil this, the devil that. The devil's out there. He's as a roaring lion. He wants to destroy you, your marriage, your family. He wants to destroy this church. But I don't live in fear. I say that's fine. I, I, when I started walking this way, I didn't. When I said we're going to Excelsior Springs, Springs or Independence Sugar Creek, I'm not crazy enough to not think that doesn't come with an intense spiritual battle it's coming it's on right now but for me I'm going bring it that's fine come on bring the fight because I'm ready I got the armor on I got my sword and my spirit and I'm coming into darkness with light and so I will not live in fear because why why would I tremble over a foe who's trembling that's crazy to me I'm the one with authority I'm the one with dominion. We must understand our position as redeemed sons and daughters. Children are always, they seem to be more brave. I don't know about you, but children seem to be more brave when daddy's around. You know? It's like, oh no, what's that? Dad shows up and they're like, dad, dad's home. Like sometimes kids are like, hey, go down in the basement. You know, and there's this, there's this just unwarranted strange fear in every child. Like the basement is where bad people hang out. <laughs> Darkness. I can't go downstairs. It's dark. And certainly there's probably three or four bad guys down there. And, and so I can't go down there. I can go upstairs to my room. But downstairs, the basement is where burglars hang out. No idea why. 
But then my boys, they'll say, Dad, come with me. And if I go, oh, we're good. Because for some reason, I could take on five burglars at one time. I don't want to correct him that I'd die too. So I just walk down there boldly. Go, oh, where are we going? I don't see nobody, but they're lucky they ain't in here. Every once in a while, you have those irrational fears, and I have to explain to my, my, my boys. I said, boys, see, I didn't leave you in that, so. Guys, we have an alarm in the house. We have a dog that barks at anything that moves. <laughs> if anybody's looking for a dog, I'll sell them to you today, after service. I have a dog that barks at anything that moves. We have an alarm. Jesus, the angels are surrounding. And if somehow they pass, Jesus, the angels, the dogs, the alarm. You know, there's firearms too. I mean, there's all kinds of options here. Like, you don't have to worry, guys. But still sometimes it's irrational till dad shows up. And dad just brings peace to everything. And now... I read in scripture where our dad, and some of you, you might not have had a great dad. Maybe, maybe your dad was just not everything you wanted him to be. But Jesus Christ is the dad that you wish you had. He's the one that says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. He says, I will never leave you, forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. And so no matter what you're facing, no matter what burglars you think are in your basement, your daddy's always there. He's always with you. And the enemy, yeah, but the enemy's attacking. And that's interesting, too, because God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere present. My family in Wisconsin can be talking to Jesus, and I can talk to him now. Jesus does not say, hang on, I've got to take the light rail. I'll be right back. He's everywhere present. The devil is not. The devil's in one place at one time. He's not a deity. He's a spiritual being. And so, if you say, the devil's knocking on my door, you must be an absolutely amazing supergiant in the spiritual realm for the devil himself to show up at your doorstep. Chances are, the devil's not at your doorstep. Now, fallen angels and the enemy could be. But he can only be one place at one time. And God is everywhere present at all times. So I don't care if the devil himself does come and knock on my door. I will say, well, you ain't coming in, but if you want, I'll come out. You ain't welcome in my house, but you want to throw down? Let's go, because I got God with me, and I have dominion over you. And the minute I say Jesus, you have to tremble anyway. And that's why 1 John 3, 8, when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning, but the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Continuing in sin was never God's plan. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and in doing so, he has called his people to live in dominion over the enemy. It was C.S. Lewis who said this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. He's trying to stake a claim on what God already owns. <laughs> Jesus defeated Satan with the same weapon available to us. 
During his wilderness temptation, he kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus knew Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled thee, suffered thee to hunger, fed thee with manna, which knewest not, neither did the fathers know, that he might make thee know what man, man doth not live by bread only, but by the every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And so Jesus quotes this to the devil. Satan himself shows up to tempt Jesus in the wilderness in his 40-day fast before his public ministry. Jesus never once got afraid or scared or feared. He just looked at the devil and someone pulled out my offensive weapon and he just quoted scripture and the devil left. He quoted scripture and the devil left. He quoted scripture and the devil left. So why do we think we need to hide in the corner like the burglars trying to get our house when you've been given an offensive weapon that goes, hold on, scripture says, the Bible says you know what some of our problem is though is we can't quote the scripture because we don't know the scripture if we're going to have an offensive weapon that we know how to use then we better practice with it and know it daily if the only offensive weapon you're fed is on Sunday afternoons you're not prepared for battle Periodically, Gallup polls reveal America's view of the Bible, and over recent decades, polling results show that fewer Americans than ever before in history are reading God's Word. However, they have a copy, and they even revere it, but they're not reading it. God help us that we're not a church full of people who revere the Word, but don't read the Word. It is not only time to be aware of the devil's existence, but we must also resist his evil plans and ways. James 4 says, but he giveth grace, more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice to have this type of dominion, there must be two key things that happen. We must resist the devil and submit ourselves to God. So our human flesh, if we're going to walk in victory, we have to know the word, resist the devil, well, how do I resist? Well, when the temptation comes, don't just jump into it and be like, man, I feel bad. I messed up. Do something that says, oh, no, I'm not doing this day. I'm going to fight back against this temptation. And I'm going to begin to quote the word. But in doing that, I'm not just resisting him, but I'm submitting myself to God and to his plan. Because if all you're trying to do is just, I'm just trying to do better. I just don't want to sin. I just keep trying to do better. I, I don't want to do that. That's a bad habit. I don't want to do that. That's resisting, but it's not submitting. Submitting says, God, my whole life is yours. There's no part of my life that's off limits to you. You can preach this, this, and this. I'm with that. I'm with that. That's good. That one's asking too much. I'm not doing that. Well, hold on. So there are, there are parts of your heart that are off limits to God? So he can have this, this, and this, but if he asks for that or that, like, hey, I'm good with the worship stuff. Even speaking in tongues, that's cool. You start talking about lifestyle or dress or giving money. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm out there. And I'm, don't, don't talk about that stuff. Well, hold up. Is all of our life submitted to God or are only segments, components? Like, Lord, you can have everything behind uh, gate uh, A and B and D, but not C and F. Like, whew, that stuff I'm still holding on to. 
then we're not submitted to God. How can we submit to a word that we don't read? So we have to learn to wield our sword to prepare for spiritual battle. And the word is our sword. We have to read it, study it, memorize it. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You know, one part, David, a man after God's own heart, he talks about meditating. He talks about loving the law. I don't know a lot of times, you know, today I'll deal with people that will be like, oh, you're talking about all this law stuff, all the rules, blah, 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 blah. What would have happened if they didn't come up with the law of Moses? 613 commandments. Thank God we're freed. We've, we've been, the law's been fulfilled in Christ. But just careful before you bash the law too much because they were a nation that was coming out of 430 years of bondage in Egypt. They didn't have any clue what to wear, how to build, what law is supposed to look like, how they're supposed to travel, what they're supposed to eat. So God in his protection and love for them developed the law. The law was going to be a schoolmaster that points to the fact that even though you do these things, you're going to still need more. Thank God Jesus eventually steps on the scene. But thank God they had the law. And David's right and going, I love the law. The law is what provides guidance for me. The law is what provides teaching. If you ever look at scripture and be like, oh man, that book's just a book of all the things of not to do, what to do, what you don't have a love for it. You got to develop a love for it. When you read scripture, you're going, God, thank you so much that you've provided guidance for me about how to carry myself, the plan of salvation, how to live, how to act. And there should be times when we read scripture and feel conviction because his word is working and going, I'm trying to change some things to keep developing you into who I want you to be. I love the law. I love the word. I love scripture. And so we need to know his word if we're going to stand and have dominion over the devil, if we're going to wield that only offensive weapon in the sword of the spirit, We've got to know it. And as I wrap up today, I'm going to just leave you with eight weapons for spiritual warfare. So again, if you're a note taker, I know there's at least two of you. Eight weapons for spiritual warfare. Number one, you ever heard somebody say, I plead the blood. And everybody's like, cool. And everyone's also like, what in the world does that even mean? Well, let me explain. The Old Testament priests took blood. I could preach an eight-week series just over these eight things. I'm going to hit these real quick. The Old Testament priests took blood from the brazen labor and the altar, or brazen altar sacrifices in the Old Testament tabernacle. They sprinkled it throughout the rest of the tabernacle. It wasn't just the animal's blood was shed at that first step in the Old Testament tabernacle, but they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it throughout the rest of the tabernacle as they went in their journey toward the holiest of holies where they would stand before God. And just like that, Jesus' blood covers us as we take dominion over the accuser of the brethren, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. The blood that Jesus Christ shed, it covers us as we go about our daily journey. The second thing is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Where in the world does that come from? Well, there's no other name. Under heaven, given a man whereby we must be saved. There's power in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon in our spiritual arsenal. We must always remember it is not some magic wand. 
Ooh, I'd like to get that Lamborghini in Jesus' name. I'd like to sit first class on this flight in Jesus' name. Now, it's not no magic wand to get you what you want. It's a verbal representation of all that God is. Proverbs 18 says, the, 1810 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Why? Because there's a roaring lion and he's seeking to attack us, but does not have to matter because I have dominion and I have a place of safety. Even at a time where I need to rest or I need to find safety, I can say, hang on, I can run to the name of the Lord. I can run to a righteous place in God and I can be safe. Then you have the word of God that I keep discussing here. The word that Jesus cast devils out by his word. We, we got to know and study his word. Four is the spirit of God. The infilling of the spirit gives us power to defeat Satan. It was, even a, it was even a coming promise of an Old Testament prophet, several Old Testament prophets, one of them being Zechariah, when he said, then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. If you are going to be walking in victory, if you're going to have dominion, you better, have, you better be walking in the spirit, the spirit that God fills us. He puts his spirit inside of us. And guess what? My spirit alone, I can try and be dedicated. I can try and really put my mind to it and try harder, but I will not live a victorious spiritual life if I am not filled with his spirit. His spirit is the one that gave me the power and the authority to walk and to be victorious. Jesus then prophesies to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He says, you're going to receive power. When? After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you're going to be powered to be what? To be witnesses into all the cities and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that spirit brings with it dominion. 2, Peter 1, 7, or 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, there it is again. If you're sitting here living in fear today, and you're going, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. It seems like the enemy has a full-blown attack, full-fledged attack on my life right now. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And because of the spirit that's inside of us, we can and should overcome the enemy. First John 4, 4 says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome the world, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm looking at a group of people that I'm wondering, do you, do you know the kind of power that you possess? Do you know the kind of power that you're sitting on right now? As God has said, I died, I put my spirit inside you, I've shed my blood, and now I'm giving you dominion. Then angels, that's kind of this mysterious being that we're like, eh, I'm not really sure about that. The Lord sends his angels to minister to his people, whether you believe that or not, look at scripture. Hebrews 1.13 says, God never said to any of his angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. He did not say that to them. Therefore, angels are only servants. Spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Scripturally, angels are sent to people. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. So yes, very much. When I'll pray with my kids at bedtime, I'll say, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, 
be with us in this home tonight. And I will say these words. I will say, Lord, send an angelic host to surround my home. And I just envision an angelic host of the army of the Lord encamping around my home and providing a protection in the spiritual realm for my family and I. You're getting out there in some crazy stuff, really? Because scripture says, scripture says there are angels and they're sent to minister to people. Six is prayer with praise. Our praise helps defeat the enemy. The psalmist tells us to continue to praise God even when we are discouraged. Are you discouraged today? Yeah, I didn't really feel like praising him. Don't praise just because you feel like it. Praise because he's worthy. Psalm 42, 11 says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Discouragement was had set into it the psalmist's heart. He realized it. Man, I'm discouraged, but you know what I need to do right now? I need to praise God more than ever before. As the old song says, just keep praising him. Just keep praising him. The word of our testimony, last two things. Don't be discouraged when facing a battle with the enemy. Why does it just seem, it seems like I just can't get past this. I'm always in a fight. This is frustrating. I just can't ever get any rest. Remember this, victory comes because there was a battle. Victory comes because there was a battle. And when you come through the battle victorious, you now have a testimony. And every testimony now becomes another mighty weapon. If you're here and you're like, man, it just it seems like, oh, just don't despise it. Put in the armor of God, get to the word, resist the devil, submit yourselves to God. And when you come out the other side, you can say, hold up. I was on the side of the road one time too, but God raised me up. God, just like a good Samaritan, God got me back on my feet. And now I got a testimony. I can walk in power. Let me tell you about what God can do in your life. And then prayer, fasting, and faith. Jesus said some battles are fiercer and some demonic spirits are stronger than others. The good news is, is we have authority and dominion to exercise victory through prayer and fasting. Victory and dominion come through prayer and fasting. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 17, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall be removed. Nothing shall be impossible unto you Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Certain battles you're going to face. Not going to just be like, I have dominion, Jesus' name. It's going to be like, no, let's get down. I'm drawing a line. Getting down the nitty gritty. There's going to be a fight. And I'm ready to go the distance. No person or power compares to the one who created all things by his word. All weapons of our warfare flow from the spiritual arsenal of his word. 
And though his current word will pass away, or this current world will pass away, his word will never pass away. It will always have dominion over the spirit of error. When you're ever going, I just don't know, I just need clarity, go to the word. Don't go to Facebook, don't ask your three closest friends. Go to the word. The word of God is not bound by time or circumstance. God sees the end from the beginning. His word is what set the world in motion. All things exist by his word. Every atom in the universe throughout all of ages has always been held together by his word. And by remaining in his word, we can allow the word to lead us through every battle. And it's through his word that we will have dominion over any devil or demonic spirit. And so today, where are you? Are you discouraged? Are you in a battle? Are you fearful? Are you wondering what's around the corner? Just know, stand strong. Put on the armor of God. Resist the devil. Submit yourself to God. Get in the word. Take that offensive weapon and go, I'm not afraid of darkness. I'm going to take my offensive weapon and bring light to darkness. And if you're despising the battle, if you're despising the, oh, it's just it's so hard, it's so difficult. There's not victory without a battle. Don't despise the battle. This right here, what you are going through right now is going to be the most amazing opportunity for God not only to prove his power to you, but for you to have a testimony that will forever reach the lives of those who are you going are going to come in contact with over the next several years of your life as you talk to them about, oh no, there was a battle, there was a battle, there was a battle in, in, in substances, there was a battle in purity, there was a battle in my marriage, there was a battle in my finances, there was a battle in my integrity. I wasn't the person that God was telling me I needed to be, but you know what? I just stood strong and I, and I resisted the devil and I submitted myself to God and I grabbed his word and I began to get in the word and, I, and then again, the next day I had to resist the devil and submit myself to God. And, but then there was a group of people who walked with me and I just kept trying to be faithful and when I fell down I got back up and I and I said rejoice not against me on my enemies because when I fall I'm going to rise up again and I made a decision that I wasn't going to quit and so here I am today let me tell you my story let me tell you my testimony there's a battle but at the end of the battle there's victory and so I invite you to stand to your feet and I invite a church who knows I am called to have dominion not over self not only over self but also I have been called to have dominion over the devil. He might exist. He might be as a roaring lion. But my Bible says the devils believe and they tremble. So I refuse to be fearful of an opponent who's trembling at the one who fills me. Oh, church, I invite you to find a place to pray. To pray a prayer of victory. You don't have to beg God to take something away. Just begin to praise Him that He's going to bring you through it. You don't have to say, God, take this away. Say, God, I thank you that you've given me the strength I need to walk through this battle. I will be victorious. I will win. I will have victory. I have dominion over the devil.